Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and all our very happy and regular listeners to the DOGS program. We are the Defenders of Government Schools. That's D-O-G-S. We've been around for decades and decades because we need to be here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial, podcast on the WWWs. We need to be here because state schools need defending. Um, oh, my goodness. Um, we're not quite up to the wars of religion yet, like in the 17th century, but at the moment the whole religious debate is, is heating up. And the reason, and the really, I, I think, ridiculous and stupid reason we have to talk about religious people jumping up and down about what their rights are in Australia when it comes to a program about education is that religious people jumping up and down about what their rights are and what their rights aren't is directly affecting how children are educated in Australia um, because so much of government money in Australia goes to religious institutions who then distribute it to their schools to educate their children um, according to the peculiar religious tenets of each of their separate religions. I mean, that's what we do in Australia. It's supposed to be a secular country, but it's, it's, it's not. And so here on the Dogs Program, we have to talk about things like religion and schools. Um, I'll be talking about religion and state schools later on, but... Um, Jane's going to be talking about religion in state-funded schools, that is, state-funded religious schools as opposed to state schools uh, that fund religion. I know it's ridiculous, isn't it, all these words we have to use and say in this ridiculous place called Australia when it comes to education funding. Um, Jean has a press release that she always does here on the Dogs Program every week. It's 700 and something ridiculously large because that's how many press releases we put out over the years. Um, she'll be talking about what's going on in terms of religious belief, religious rights and and the right to discriminate in Sydney. And um, I'll be highlighting what's going on down here in Victoria with the state election because our potential Premier, who's the leader of the Conservative Party here in Victoria, um, is insisting on reintroducing um, religious education into state schools. Um, I'll be talking about the details of that later, but let's kick off before we talk about these things with Jean's press release. Jean... Yes, just one small thing. As we're coming into the election, or two elections, federal and state, and we talk about coalitions and conservatives, could we please talk about reactionaries? Because in many respects, these people, when they start talking about religion, are taking us way, way back past the 19th century, even into the earlier time of the 16th century, Uh, you would think that we'd never had a federation or a constitution with a religious liberty clause in it. So um, my press release, 769, Religious Freedom and Private Privilege to Discriminate. Wealthy Sydney Anglican schools want to keep their cake and eat it. The federal government has responded favourably to demands from 34 principals of Anglican schools in Sydney who want to retain their already existing anti-discrimination laws which permit them to exclude certain kinds of teachers, in in a particular case, LGBTI teachers. In an open letter, the group of Anglican schools wrote to the MPs claiming the shift any shift of their current right to discriminate would undermine their faith's core values, whatever they may be. My understanding of 
Christ's position in Matthew is that he said to obey the law of the country that you're in if you're a Christian and pay for your beliefs yourself. Put your money where your mouth is and give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. That's my understanding, but it is not the understanding of these people apparently. Until such time as religious freedom is codified in legislation, these Anglican uh, principles said, the exemption should remain. And they wrote an open letter, so we know what they said. At least they are open about it. Among those who signed the letter are the principals of the King's School in Parramatta, Barker College in the North Shore and Abbotsley from the North Shore also. These are extremely wealthy schools. Also Shore at North Sydney and Trinity Grammar School in the Inner West. And there have actually been questions concerning bullying and all sorts of other things going on in these schools in the past. Now these wealthy schools, which take large sums of taxpayer dollars, let's call them state-funded schools, as Richard, as Robert does, have a very checkered history when it comes to core values. Yet, Dan Tian, the Minister for Education in the Federal Government, says the government will get the balance right in protecting freedom of religion and preventing teachers from being discriminated against. How he's going to do this, I don't know. The Coalition and the Labor Party are talking about competing rights. And, of course, it's not long before they get to parental rights. Dogs would remind these principles of these particular schools that religious freedom is already codified in a potentially strong Bill of Rights clause in our Australian Constitution. Let's remind ourselves of what this section in our Constitution says. It is section 116 and it's based upon the First Amendment of the American Constitution and to date and it may not continue to be so, but the Supreme Court of the United States has interpreted it as meaning very strong separation of church and state, very strong secular meaning. The Commonwealth shall not make any law for establishing any, any religion or for imposing any religious observance or for prohibiting the free exercise of any religion and no religious test shall be required as a qualification for any office or public trust under the Commonwealth. Please note that I have emphasised the word any because in my dictionary the word any, A-N-Y, does not mean a particular now, these private schools spent 26 days in the High Court of Australia. I know that the Anglicans were represented because I actually delivered the subpoena to the gentleman down in uh, St Paul's Cathedral, um, behind the cathedral, in their offices there. Very, very nice offices they are too. Uh, in 1979. And they stood up in the witness box for 26 days trying to prove that they were not religious institutions. And the majority of the High Court actually agreed with them. It was a very interesting exercise. Now, why were they trying to say that they were not religious institutions? Because they were frightened that under the Section 116 they'd lose their taxpayers' money. This was the dog's case. Now, Justice Lionel Murphy dissented, uh, but the rest of the High Court went with the church school's argument that the word any religion or the words any religion meant a particular religion. And this, if you look at it, renders the actual meaning of that religious liberty clause of our Constitution meaningless. 
Now, since 1981, when the case was brought down by the High Court, there has been a lot of questioning of the High Court judgment. And it would be very interesting if it was heard again. In the years 1979 to 81, the religious schools of Australia valued, valued this was their values, they're talking about, filthy lucre more than any principles of religious liberty. And if you want to find out more about that, there is a great deal about it on our website. There's a book, an e-book, and there are a number of articles as well. There's two books, actually. If religious schools are now demanding religious liberty, they should be demanding that the High Court follow the Lionel-Murphy dissent. That's if they're genuine. Or perhaps those who are being asked to suffer discrimination practised by these privileged religious schools in Australia should follow American precedent and take a test case to the High Court. Now, this is actually happening this week at Portland in Maine. The Americans United for Separation of Church and State and the American Civil Liberties Union, both the American for a whole of America and also the American Civil Liberties Union in Maine, have filed a motion to intervene in a Maine case regarding the use of taxpayer funds to pay tuition at schools that indoctrinate children in religion. And uh, why are they doing this? This is their reasoning. It is a fundamental violation of religious freedom to force main taxpayers to support education in religious beliefs which they do not hold, said Alex J. Lukanitsa, the Americans United Associate Legal Director. And taxpayers should never be compelled to support discrimination, which some private religious schools practice. Now, this is the dog's position. We are not against religion. Many of our members are, in fact, very genuine religious people. But we do know from history what happens when you entangle religion and the state. We are currently seeing a very extreme example of this in Pakistan, where a woman has been imprisoned for nine years on a blasphemy charge because she is from a minority religious group. And the High Court there has recently freed her and there are riots in the street and she may well, if she's not got out of the country, be... um, well, I suppose you call it lynching. Um, now, over in Maine, back to Maine, the case Carson et al. versus Hassan was filed by the Institute for Justice and the First Liberty Institute who demand that Maine's taxpayer-funded tuition program pay for religious instruction at the Bangor Christian Schools in Bangor and the Temple Academy in Waterville. Both schools would use the taxpayer-funded tuition to teach students religious doctrine and train them in religious rites and observances. And these schools are run, uh, it seems to, as, I, as I read it, by um, Baptist groups. And this is particularly sad because the Baptist group uh, historically have always are taking a very firm line on separation of church and state, but not anymore. It's wonderful what the smell of taxpayer funds does to people with so-called religious values. Uh, And um, I think that we in Australia are hoping, as has happened before, that the Americans United for Separation of Church and State are successful in this matter. Uh, if you want to find out more about them, they do have a website, the Americans United. It's a religious liberty watchdog group that's based in Washington, D.C. So I thought that uh, you should be aware that the dogs are not alone, that we are taking a principled position. We always have since uh, state aid was reintroduced in Australia in the 1960s, late 1960. 1969 direct grants were given Uh, and um, this is a very important principle 
uh, it is perhaps one of the most important bills of rights sections that one can possibly have in a constitution. Freedom of conscience is just so basic and it has led to so much bloodshed when it has not been adhered to in our history. But that's enough from me. Back to uh, Robert. Indeed. Thank you very much, Jane. Welcome back. Um, yeah, I think Jane's talking about the very fundamental difference, the difference between freedom of conscience and funding of conscience. Um, if your conscience has to be funded, it's probably not worth having in the first place. Freedom of conscience, of course, is something the doctor dogs here uh, feel very strongly about. If it has to be funded, um, I don't think it's that powerful a conscience to have in the first place. Um, yeah, the issues that, are, that Jean raises there in Sydney are actually quite fascinating. Um, the people who are the signatories on, on that petition in terms of, you know, the, they want their, 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 um, their consciences to continue to be funded rather than be free. Um, those particular schools she was talking about are interesting um, in the Australian context because a very large number of the CEOs and Prime Ministers of this country have come from the schools that you're talking about. Um, they're on the north and the southern shores of, 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 of Sydney Harbour. There's an interesting article just, by the way, because these schools, the values that these schools wish to maintain have been highlighted both from the inside and the out over the last little while um, in the Royal Commission under institutions, and these are some of the institutions that have instigated, protected and, and harboured people who are child abusers. Um, and more than that, there's a culture not just necessarily of child abuse, but definitely... Um, well, you can call it lots of different things, but in, in an article written um, by a teacher who was in fact um, a teacher in these schools, who is not willing in the Australian context to put their name to the article in which they're written because anonymity um, is something you require if you wish to talk about the schools that educate the elite and the powerful in Australia today. But one teacher, when they were 77, well, when, sorry, when they were 27, was teaching at the elite private boys' school in Sydney. Her boss at the school was a man who was verbally violent and aggressive towards her. It was common knowledge that he bullied the female teachers in his faculty and his reputation was known um, by the entire school, including the students. One day, um, this, this, this bullying gentleman and I, I, she says, were discussing aspects of the curriculum. When he realised we held opposing views, um, this person stood their ground and stated that they did not agree with their boss. Uh, their boss then slammed their hands on the table and shouted, you're being ridiculous, woman, he said. I thought he might explode into physical violence. Um, and as a result, uh, this person raced out of the room and into the main office in a panic. Uh, they approached a female colleague who was older than her at the time and told her what had happened. Uh, her elderly female comment advised her um, to go into their own office, go into her office, shut the door and calm down. And then added... Um, he's under a bit of stress at the moment, so you should leave him alone. It's one of several incidences during this person's professional career where a man was exonerated from responsibility for their violent acts. In the ten years this person's taught in private boys' school, they've seen questionable behaviour in many of the students produced by these institutions, um, such as the time a Year 12 student gave love advice to one of his friends who had recently started dating a girl whose parents had Greek ancestry. Uh, one child said to them, if you don't like her, just put her in, in the box and ship her back to Greece, was, was the advice. All of the boys, of course, at this boys' school in, in, in Sydney erupted in laughter. And when the teacher caught them out and said, found that that was highly inappropriate, a male colleague at the time told me to stop being such a killjoy and let the boys have their fun. Another time, this teacher was walking past a classroom with a tray of coffee in her hands. She heard one of the students call out. It turned out to say, um, Over here, miss. I'll have the coffees. Thank you very much. Coffee delivery here. The boys around him laughed. And, of course, I smiled because I had no idea how to respond to this. Yes, of course, he was just joking. But it bothered me that the male teacher didn't call the child out. She talked about her discomfort with older male colleagues and they all just laughed it off and told them they were just taking, taking it all too seriously. They're just mucking about. They're just being boys. Well, was it just mucking about? 
Now, not all the students in private boys' schools are frat wannabes, of course, but there is a link between the particular sort of gendered confidence that is exclusively pertinent in boys in private schools around Sydney and the ones, indeed, that have signed this, this, this particular petition. And, of course, that relates to the men who end up in positions of great power in our society. The acceptance of the sexist behaviour that she's seen towards women steamroll its way through the boys' futures. Think of our Prime Ministers who come from these schools. Think of the judges, the CEOs and other men in positions of power. These individuals have all been, and almost always without fail, alumni of private boys' schools, very often in Sydney. This is not, in fact, a coincidence. Their audacity and self-aggrandisement necessarily develops in the school halls when they are 15 years old, and one day, of course, places them in positions of power. And I read this out. Um, it's a Guardian article on the 23rd of October. Uh, the, the article itself is entitled uh, What I Learned as a Woman Teaching in Elite Boys' Schools in Sydney. I'm fascinated by this because um, it's almost as if nothing has changed. I did a, um, a practice teaching at Shaw Grammar and that was one place I'd never, ever want to go back. And uh, what she's saying uh, certainly was my experience yeah. too. So this, this, sen- this sense of things change. Well, the values that these people are talking about, the values, of course, seem to be unchanging from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s and now the, and, and now the 20 teens. Um, these values um, don't seem to have changed much at all. Um, I just point this out because I think it's interesting because whenever I see a petition with a bunch of religious people touting values, um, my hackles go up because what are the values they're talking about? Well, the, va- the values of entrenched privilege in this particular instance, I would say. Well, the children come in from these schools to Sydney University to places like St Paul's College and there's recently been a, a, big, um, a big inquiry into the behaviour of the uh, boys in the colleges at Sydney University, and most particularly St Paul's. So um, that was why I was rather, well, I suppose I was a little bit amused or, or bemused when these principles started sprouting religious values uh, because yeah. they were not, never the values that, that I noticed when I was dealing with these kind of people. Well, unfortunately, we have to keep dealing with these concepts of values when we're talking about education in Australia today because state school values, of course, that all schools are free, secular and universal and offensive to none. Those are the values of a state school and not necessarily the values that these people are ascribing to, well, by definition, because they are elite, they are exclusionary. And we'll be back with more about what's going on in Victoria rather than New South Wales after a bit of music and a few messages, I think.
for 10 days in November. Defendant Extends Public Housing will be campaigning on the steps of Parliament House to make public housing an election issue. Public housing, everybody's business. Join us anytime from Wednesday the 14th of November, that's midday the 14th of November, to Saturday midnight the 24th of November and put the spotlight on public housing this Victorian state election. Use Victoria's stamp duty revenue approximately $6 billion plus per year for public housing. House 1 million Victorians by 2029. Public housing, everybody's business. Join us. Bring tea, bring coffee, bring cakes, bring food, bring your musical instruments and most importantly of all, bring yourself and your sleeping bag. Are you 18 years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. Oh, welcome back to the Dogs Program. Thanks for that, Joe, and that visual. I'm, I'm not going to turn up. Yeah, in uh, November, 14th to 21st. Yeah. Oh, 10 days. Yeah, 10 days, 10 days up there. Have, have, have a good time um, supporting public housing, a good cause. And, of course, um, if you're interested in the way we're policed in this state, I think you should contribute to that, to that very interesting research. Also, we're listening to the Contigas de Santa Maria. It was uh, Alfonso the Tenth's little, 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 little ditty there, performed by Winsome Evans in a recording made in the 80s. Um, lovely recorder playing. I do like a good recorder from time to time. If you sort of, you know, get 30 of them in a room together um, and they're all playing different things, that's not quite so good. But when it's played well, it's worth listening to. But back to the serious business of what's going on in Victoria. We have an election. We have an election. So all the politicians going out saying vote for me. Um, except for Matthew Guy. He goes to certain places and quietly says to certain groups of people, vote for me. Vote for me. Um, he was at um, a very interesting meeting out there at the uh, Crossways Christian Centre in the east of Melbourne saying, vote for me and I'll put in religious instruction back in state schools, but don't tell anyone. That's what Matthew, so that's how Matthew Guy makes political announcements. He makes, well not broadcast, he doesn't broadcast his policy, he narrowcasts it. He goes up to a bunch of, um, and I've been to the Crossway Centres, a bunch of very um, active, energetic and proselytising Christians at the Crossway Centre and said, vote for me and I'll make sure that, that, that the Jesus Christ, the word, of, the word of Jesus Christ goes back into state schools the way it used to be because that's what should be happening in state schools because, and the words of Matthew Guy, he is a Christian, he's not ashamed to be so and in, from his point of view he lives in a Christian country, not a secular one and so therefore every child in Victoria has the right to be proselytised at in a state school in Victoria. Now, if you don't think that's a good idea, well, suppose you don't vote for him. But he's not telling the whole world this because he knows the whole world isn't very interested in this. But he does know that certain swing seats in the, in the, in the middle and far east of Melbourne are very interested in this. And so, therefore, he's whispering it to them. It's absolutely fascinating. Now, to give you some background on this, this is not in a vacuum. Um, up until 2011, um, a religious instruction which was paid for by taxpayers, funded by the government, was in every state school and was run by um, religious organisations. Access uh, Ministries, I think. Uh, actually, it was mo- it's always been more complicated than that. In days gone by, religious people who were genuine were allowed access for a period of time every week to teach children of their particular faith. And they didn't do it. They didn't turn up. Some did, some didn't. And then the the religious people wanted money to do it. They wanted and and to um, be paid to do it through access ministries. They wanted a general common Christianity kind of um, curriculum to go into the state schools. And that's where the parents, many of them, um, said no. 
no, we're happy to have our particular religious belief taught to our children, but we don't want this general uh, religious belief. And, of course, it would be offensive to children of Jewish or Muslim or Sikh or, um, or Buddhist background. So it was... Um, it just got too complicated. It well, had always can, been complicated in the 19th century. I can tell you, Jean, that what's happened is that's what's going on right now. That's, that's the case. Right now in Victoria, there is special religious instruction in state schools. It is not in curriculum time. It, it is done by volunteers, mm-hmm. and it's done before and after school and at lunchtimes. It's not taking the place of maths. It's not taking the place of English like, like it was 10, 10 years ago. Now, currently in Victoria, and access ministry. Oh, of course, and yes. it's oh, sorry, it's opt-in, not opt-out. Not so, yes, yes. if you do want your child to have religious instruction, that is available in your school and is provided by access ministries. That's okay. Their CEO, Dawn Penney, said that currently in Victoria, there are 132 instructors offering 60 programs, and in Victoria, 1,089 school children are opting in to do religious instruction in the state of Victoria. That's, that's a little bit over 1,000 students. Now, to give you a perspective, what you're talking about was in the past is what's happened. These are all volunteers. Access Ministry is now no longer funded substantially by the government. These are people of genuine religious faith. They wish to share their faith with children in state schools with the permission of the parents being achieved beforehand. Now... That's not the way it was. And I'd just like to say FIRIS, or Fairness in Religion in School, an organisation which are responsible for this current situation, state quite categorically that this is the historical and numerical context of what Matthew Guy is proposing. And he wants to ram special religious instruction back into compulsory classroom time from lunchtimes and after school. And does he, can you expect in, the teachers to teach it? No, teach no. In 2011... Yeah. In 2011, before 2011 in Victorian schools, it was actually opt-out. It wasn't opt-in. Your child did religious instruction unless you specifically said, you know, you you didn't want to. That's if your child brought the form home and such like. Before then, there were 130,000 kids, 130,000 kids in SRE divided by 300,000 total government primary schools. So 42% before 2011 of kids in Victoria were getting special religious instruction, um, whereas now a bit over 1,000 do. In 2018, based on the quoted access SRI enrolments of a little bit over 1,000, the figure is, in fact, 0.29% of students in Victoria as of today are doing special religious instruction. Now, you rounded up a tiny amount for other SRI providers, that is the Jewish and Islamic providers. Access, of course, by the way, Christian providers have a near monopoly in Victorian SRI, representing about 1920ths of all currently um, instruction that's going on. So before 2011, it was opt-out, and then opt-in was changed. And then in 2014, 2014, it changed again with the idea of informed consent. That is, the parents were informed about what was going on and, that, and their consent was sought. And the proper ministerial approval of, of SRI volunteers happened in 2015 because the volunteers that were coming into school did not have working with children's checks. They weren't properly approved. And they, they had no training. They were just enthusiastic people who might or might not have had the best interests of the children at heart. So... There's been a lot of work done in this space to make sure that when a child does do special religious instruction with someone of genuine faith who has the appropriate training, um, this does now happen in Victorian schools. There is no, there is no lack of freedom of religious instruction. This is, this is what children's state schools can have, but... And there's absolutely nothing to prevent religious groups having Sunday schools. They used to have Sunday schools. You got your religious instruction from very genuine people who, who gave up their time and their energy to teach children in Sunday mm. schools. So in the free market of ideas in state schools, currently 99.7% of students in Victorian state schools are not enrolled in SRI. It's available to them. They can go to lunchtime and after schools, um, but they're not doing it. So if you're talking about the free market, that's what a free market of ideas. That's what's going on. Matthew Guy 
wants to change this around and make it make it as part of class time. Now, bear in mind what what happens then in Victorian schools. If it as it was, it used to be the case that when you did your special religious instruction and you had opted into it, the rest of the class who wasn't doing special religious instruction were forbidden from learning anything during that time. So they had to go and sit in the corridor and do absolutely nothing because because if they were allowed to continue learning, that was considered unfair to the the children who were getting instruction because then they would miss out on some actual education. And so therefore, as a question of fairness, the children who weren't in SRI were told to sit in the corridor and were forbidden from being taught while at school because the children who were learning about special learning from, from people, the volunteers. Um, so that's what it was. That's what Matthew Guy wants to go back to. Now, this is of benefit, and this is very interesting. This is very attractive to those people in those swing, swing seats in the inner east of Melbourne, which is why he went out there. He went out the crossways to tell them, but he wasn't telling anyone else. Now, religious education is something and I think Jean and I can agree on this, religious education is something that I think the children of Victoria should have. I think a study of religion is, in fact, a very important part of the study of the history of humankind. You can't really understand Australia. You can't really understand the world unless you understand Christianity or Hinduism or Islam or Judaism or animism, or any form of the major religions that have gone to, pa- to make, to make um, Australia as we know it today, as a multicultural country, island, on, on, on the, in the southern hemisphere of the planet. It should be part of the history, or the, on this level, it should be part of the history curriculum, hmm. uh, or the social sciences curriculum. Hmm. Um, hmm. And I'm sure in a lot of places it is. You can't actually... Look at a lot of events in history unless you look at the the religious beliefs behind people's actions. And I just think it's ridiculously sad that I have to sit here and talk about this on 3CR on the DOGS program because this is not... These are... are, Why am I talking about whether someone should or shouldn't proselytise in a school that is secular, free and universal? Um, it's just, and anyway, Matthew Guy wants to talk about it, but it's interesting. Henrietta Cook picked up on this. She's a she's a, one of the um, one of the journalists remaining at, at the age as part of the Fairfax stable. And she wrote on the 30th of October, just a couple of days ago. She said, "Why Matthew Guy wanted to keep his religious religion in state schools plan quiet." She says it was telling there was no press conference, there was no media release about the coalition's plan to reintroduce special religious instruction into Victorian state schools. She said, this was a pitched aim at, at religious conservatives who have a growing influence on the Victorian Liberal Party politics these days. Can we days. please call them reactionaries, not conservatives? You can do that. Um, Henry de Cook calls them conservatives. I agree with you, Jane. Um, yes, these religious conservative reactionaries. reactionaries. And so it made perfect sense for Matthew Guy to unveil this policy at the Australian Christian Lobby event which was held at the crossways, and I'm going to use this word again, Jane, Baptist Church, for re-election event in Melbourne's East on Saturday. I can tell you the Crossways Baptist Church has a school attached to it, and the school spends a lot of money renting the facilities of the Crossways Baptist Church, and so the Crossways Baptist Church gets a great deal of money because the school that's next door to it rents all of its facilities. The school, by the way, is paid for by, yes, you guessed it, me. And you, by taxpayers. This is really very sad because um, the Baptists historically fought very, very hard for the separation of church and state. Well, the Baptists are now in the current, what we call, in future history, are now fighting very, very hard to maintain as much federal funding as they can and state funding as well. Very sad. Anyway, our current opposition leader, Matthew Guy, told the audience at the Christian Lobby Organisation, the captivated audience, that he'd bring back religious instruction during class time because, and this is his reason, it's very important. That, that, that's, that's, his, that's his rationale. But while it's welcome news to the crowd who had gathered at one of Australia's largest Baptist churches, it's perhaps not a message the Coalition wanted to promote more broadly. 
You see, the 30-minute classes in Victorian state schools have been controversial for most part of a decade. So controversial, of course, that in 2011, the then coalition state government changed the rules so that parents had to opt in rather than opt out, I was mentioning before. This followed a long-running campaign by parents, the Ferris Group, the Humanist Society of Victoria, and indeed us at the Dogs, as well as educational experts, who argued that religious instruction had no place in a secular state education system. I was going to say that. They argued, I think quite rightly, even just from a tautological point of view, even from the point of view of language, religious instruction has no place in a secular state education system. Now, this sentiment is articulated in Victoria's education laws, which state the public education must be secular, compulsory and free. So every time I use those words, I'm not using them, just make, making them up. They're actually in... They're actually in Victoria's education laws. Now, the move to an opt-in system led to 42% decline in enrolments in religious classes, and trouble struck a few years later in 2014 when volunteers for, who were doing this in religious instruction work, the main providers of religious instruction, distributed what they called Bible zines to students which described homosexuality as a... Yes, well, the thing that Christians specialise talking about as a sin. Now, the Bible zines, which were a graduation present for students at Torquay College, also claimed that masturbation and sex before marriage were sinful. At the same time, many parents who withdrawn their children from the classes were becoming increasingly frustrated. Their children, who represented 80% of all state school primary students, had to just do nothing at all in the library while their peers took part in religious classes. Now, this is what Guy wants to bring back. He wants to bring this back, and he's talking to the people at Crossways and Christian lobbyists that this is what he's going to do. Now, concerned, of course, back in the day in 2015, James Molino changed the rules again. He scrapped it, instruction from the curriculum, and replaced it with lessons on... This is, this is, this is, this is what children are now taught instead of religious instruction. They talk in lessons on respectful relationships, global cultures, ethics, and faith education. Plural. Now you can have 20% of kids undertaking special religious instruction while the other children are not getting any teaching or learning during precious curriculum time, Mr Molino said back in 2015. Under the new rules, the 30-minute religious classes can only be delivered during lunchtime at the moment or after school. And of course this means that now currently there's about 1,000 kids doing it rather than, rather than 1,500 kids. But... What's going on at home, I would have thought that a lot of this kind of instruction at the end of the day is the place of the parents. If parents have a strong religious faith, then one would hope that children spend enough time with them at home for these things to be discussed at home. There's an intrusiveness about a lot of this into what one would expect to be a home thing and what one would expect to be taught in the school. The sad thing is of course that parents, particularly private school parents, are having to work so hard with both parents at work that there isn't time perhaps, even over a combined or shared meal to discuss these matters with their children. Mm -hmm. Now having had a look at um, what the Christians themselves are saying about this. This has been reported by the Christian lobbyists in, their, in one of their magazines called Eternity. And now we have more quotes about exactly what Matthew Guy is proposing and why. He says, he says, the government that he leads will bring back religious instruction because, and I'm going to quote him again, it's very important. Australian Christian Lobby's Victorian director, Dan Flynn, told Eternity, the religious, religious magazine that, that publishes what Christian lobbyists say, that the opposition leader's announcement was, here we go, a sensible compromise. I don't know what that means. And it also brought back, here we go, parental choice for religious instruction. Now, I'm afraid those words don't make any sense. No one's saying parents can't choose. No one's closing down Sunday schools, and no one's saying that children can't get religious instruction in state schools. Both of those things parents can choose. This is not Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Now this, well indeed, this is, this is an article written by Kayleigh Payne um, for the Eternity magazine where she says, special religious instruction in Victoria has been beleaguered for many years. 
And she says, well, because we have so many, because this is bad, because, of course, it's a Christian lobbying organisation, they think that more more students should be doing it, um, whether parents, you know, obviously independent, seemingly, of whether parents choose to or not. Yeah, so their arguments, and I'm always interested in the rhetoric. I'm always interested in the rhetoric of people who think that religious and, religion and education in state schools should, should go together. And the rhetoric are... It's a sensible compromise. I'm not quite sure what that means. And the other bit of rhetoric is that it brought back parental choice, this strange sort of neoliberal Christianity argument. I'm, I'm not quite sure what it means. I'm getting sick and tired of talking about these sorts of things. Let's let's let's. I have, you're probably sick, sick and tired of listening to it as well. I want to talk about something positive. Can I can I say something? There's in Victoria today, despite there's all these people wandering around talking about God in state schools, there are extraordinary things going on. Extraordinary things going on in state schools today, and I want to talk about one of them. I want to talk about a great state school. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great. Schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Good news at last. I know you have to wait through the entire program to get the good news, but I want to talk about an amazing place. It's really quite cool, actually, I have to say. The school I'm going to talk about today in some detail is a little school called Brookside College. But you've never heard of it. Well, if you have, I think you've heard of something pretty good. Brookside College is in a place called Caroline Springs, one of those brand-new suburbs right there right on the edge of Melbourne. Actually, it's not on the edge anymore. Melbourne keeps growing. But Caroline Springs is one of the new growth areas in the west, sort of, you know, on the way, on, on the road to Ballarat. Brookside College is an interesting place. It's Peter 12, sorry, P- Peter 9, I should say. So it educates kids from preparatory school all the way up to year 9. And there is some sense in that. And some people have come from around the world to look at what they're doing at Brookside College because it's so good. Now, who are those people that are coming to look at? What sort of people would be interested in improving their education system by coming and looking at a state school in Victoria. Well, of course, that's the Finnish government. The Finnish government, the Finns, have come to Victoria to find out all the wonderful things we're doing so they can take it back to Finland to improve what they're talking about. Now, they're not going to private schools. They're going to Brookside. They're going out to Caroline Springs. That's how good it is. Look, Caroline Springs is a rapidly growing suburban community. It's about 20, 20k west of Melbourne. Like it's, it used to be on the edge, probably in many people's minds still is. But they do extraordinary things. Um, I just want to talk about, just briefly talk about one particular student, Amy, um, who's happy to have her name used here on the Dogs Program. She's happy to have it go out there. And she was just in year nine and she wasn't going to go to school anymore. <laughs> school school was really wasn't what she liked. School wasn't what she wanted. She was disconnected. She was disengaged. As far as she was concerned, school was stuffed. Um, she wasn't doing very well, you know, not liking school and not doing very well, often go together. Um, and she was actually didn't much like the people in the school or, or she didn't have any mates. <laughs> yeah, just wasn't much fun. She said, and I quote, she said, I cry every day and I just try and stay home. I just don't want to go. I hated school. But then she started working at the school at a cafe that actually set up inside the school. Now, I've been to the Methodist Ladies' College and they have a cafe in their school. Yep, in the middle of the staff room, <laughs> Methodist Ladies' College, they have a barista <laughs> who makes coffees for all the teachers. I think it's a brilliant place. I'd love to work there. Not really. Um, but at Brookside, what they do is they take the kids themselves and the kids themselves work out the skills of how to make themselves a coffee and some muffins and then they, and then within the school to other kids and also the teachers themselves, they have this situation where you're doing something functional, useful, simple and good. And the Finns, well, that's good because we've got kids in Finland that aren't, aren't don't bounce like school either, so maybe we can do that. Now, I'll, I'll come back to Brookside, but there's amazing things going on in state schools around Victoria at the moment, which the Finns are interested in. So it's not just Brookside. And every time I have a discussion with someone about, I don't want to send my kid to state schools, they're hamstrung by having all to be the same, and it's just, oh, yes, monolithic state. It's just absolutely not. Can I let you know that out in Hurstbridge, 
they have a learning co-op school. It's a state school, but it's basically parent-run, and so they so, so they do things like that. Um, there's a Teach the Teacher program that's actually developed by, guess this, the Victorian Student Representative Council. So all the, all, all the student councils have come together, and they're running a program that involves students sharing their views about what schools and teachers should be doing as part of the teacher's professional development program. I mean, think about that. You know, how do teachers get better at teaching? Well, who do you ask? Experts? Yes, ask them. Ask the students? Yes, ask the students. Oh, okay, yeah, ask the students. That'll help. They have special cyberbullying programs across the state, which, of course, helps. Um, there's certain certain state schools that actually have various MasterChef content, um, contestants. You know, MasterChef the television program? I never watched it. Apparently it's good. Don't know. Anyway, they're running food education program called Phenomenon across state schools in Victoria. There's a new teaching model called Math Pathways, which has doubled the rate at which students learn maths. Both, both the number of kids that are actually involved in maths and, in fact, how well they're learning it. There's all this stuff going on in state schools. And one of the schools that's really taking it up is Brookside College in Caroline Springs. Really exciting things. Now, just to talk about a little bit about this school, um, the average ICSIA value, you know, is how rich parents are for Australia's around about 1,000. So that's the average. This school, 1,000. Spot on the average. It's about as average a bog standard school. And so you think average bog standard schools does average bog standard things? Not at all, because it's a state school. Half of them are boys, half of them are girls. Over half of them come from language backgrounds other than English. And, but they don't have many Indigenous kids, um, which I don't know, that, that's just the way they reflect their local community. 76 teachers there. Um, it's all going very well. The kids turn up to school. There's a oh, there's a 94% attendance rate, which is very high. The sort of sort of thing you get it basically means that kids like the place, so they keep turning up. What are their NAPLAN results like? Dum dum. Well, let's think, let me tell you a little bit about their NAPLAN results. Brilliant. <laughs> they're really good. Year three, year five, year seven, year nine. They're just fine compared with all Australian students. They're just fine compared with similar schools. They're just fine. In fact, I have to say in writing. In their primary school years at this Peter 12 college, they're doing really well. And in numeracy, they're really picking up in grades 5 and grade 7. But then, of course, this school is you don't have the whole sort of going to high school at year 7 and having the whole thing disrupted. It goes through P, P to 9. It's an amazing place. Doing extraordinary things. They have at this school, I should say, I was going to tell you more, more than just a cafe to take disengaged students and give them some. They have a specialised arts program, prep to 9. They have student welfare support staff that help these kids. They have a very good library. A lot of the resources that the, that the teachers and the, and the principal and the parent community put together say, where are we going to put this extra? If we've got any extra money, where are we going to put it? We're going to put it into the library resource area so children can learn autonomously. They've got ICT classes in prep and in year nine all the way through. They actually have a high-achieving sports program for students who have aptitude for that, but you don't have to do sport if you don't want to. And, of course, they've got literacy and numeracy support and extension classes. That is, if you're not doing so good, there's support. If you need any of your board because it's all too boring, they have extension classes as well. Amazing stuff. How much does it cost? How much do you reckon this costs per student? I'm oh, sorry, that was a rhetorical question. Um, $10,500 per kid. $10,500 per kid per year. This school is not just kicking goals. This school just doesn't have people from Finland coming to see how good education can be. But this school's doing it on a budget. The you wouldn't get... And a half, isn't yeah, it? yeah. It's, it's well under the 13 average. 13 to 15. Well, because their average is, you know, there's, there's not, in terms of socioeconomic terms, which I have mm. to say is the disgusting fact in Australia, if your parents are poor, that means your educational outcomes aren't as good. I'm just going to say it because that's just an assumption across the Australian education system, which I find disgusting. But notwithstanding, a little bit over ten thousand dollars per kid. That's extraordinary. And I'm, I've got, I, have, I haven't done the research about because there's a few private schools out there, but they'd be they'd be pulling in more taxpayer money per kid than that. Yeah, they would be. That's right. And this is one of the schools that that, that is actually leading the charge when it comes to. What am I going to do with my kid? I want to send my child to the best school that I can. If you live out in Caroline Springs, you send them to Brookside. It's the best school. If your kid's struggling, send them to Brookside. If if your kid gets bored because they're because they're being need need to be extended, send them to Brookside. If your kid likes to run around, send them to Brookside. If your kid's real smart at math, send them to Brookside. If your kid likes the arts, send them to Brookside. If your kid has trouble with you know problems with behaviour and social skills, send them to Brookside. 
It's the school for all the kids at Calhoun Springs. It is, in fact, a great state school. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Oh, well, it's always nice to finish on a high. Brookside, what an amazing place. Um, look, if you want to find out more about what we've been talking about, and certainly Jean's press release at the top of the show, you can contact us at our website at www.adogs.info. It's www.adogs.info. Um, and, of course, if you want to ring up and let me know about a great state school that you know about, I can actually get, do the research and let everyone let everyone on the 3CR listener community know about it too by calling at 9419-8377. That's 9419-8377. But until next week, from Jim, myself and Dale, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City Just as I am standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge Says Joe, but I'm dead Says Joe, but I'm dead The copper bosses killed you, Joe They shot you, Joe, says I Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. Went on to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Joe, you're ten years dead.